0: In uh, Star Trek's The Ultimate Computer, they built a computer called M5. It was a new introduction of a new type of computer. That computer was capable of thought and morality. Spock realized that M5 was not acting in a logical manner. It seemed to be learning like a child and making mistakes. The M5 increased its energy usage um, as its processing requirements increased drawing power directly from the antimatter chamber. M5 believed it was wrong to kill, but it did not seem to be aware that its actions were resulting in death. Kirk asked M5 what the penalty for murder was, and M5 replied death. Kirk then asked M5, how do you plan to pay for the deaths of, of uh, the members of the Excalibur? M5 left its responses by leaving itself vulnerable to Admiral Wesley. Um, Are computers more efficient than people? In some tasks, the answer is yes. To people preferring machines over people, absolutely not. A machine is not a person. Machines are tools. McCoy brings out the fear that people have being replaced by a machine. McCoy said, we don't hate machines until it replaces our job. The machine made Kirk feel unnecessary. Um, Kirk showed the survival was dependent on compassion and cooperation. Daystrom believed his robot child would learn, adapt, and survive, saving mankind from death with searching the stars. Daystrom thought men would find better things to do with their time than performing the mundane tasks that a machine could perform. It seemed that Kirk gambled on humanity and won. Daystrom could not explain why the machine chose to kill, murder, and ignore his commands. Uh, I think it was because the Daystrom machine was based on incentives, which we want to talk about today about agents and incentives. Um, it seems Kirk gambled on humanity and one daystrom could not explain why machines chose to kill murder and ignore his commands. It seems that daystrom's insanity or incentives and compulsive ba- behaviors were transferred to the machine, making the machine seem insane. Um, that's kind of the intro um, you, you've heard lately of the, um, the uh, success of the, uh, um, what is it called, uh, StarCraft, where DeepMind uh, built five agents, and they, they were reinforced, they reinforced learning agents, and uh, they went through and uh, they brought in one of the world's best experts, and then they had him set up kind of the framework for playing the game, and then they uh, were able to um, train against other games that have been played, because uh, I guess in the game, it has a capability of capture replay, so that after you've had a victory, you can replay the whole game and learn from the whole scenario, see if you can improve the, your strategies. And uh, from that, they were able to find five agents that uh, they felt were uh, that were the best, and they were based on economic decisions, based on incentives. So they called this system the Alpha Star, and it operated by observation, action, and reward. So the the like you have said in your articles uh, that there is an element of short term reward that the Hivemind was able to capitalize on, thus uh, allowing it to, in the short term, uh, gain multiple victories. Uh, once it was set up, they used the CNN network layer to identify specific features in the game. And I think you talked about in Hivemind about five dimensional, where it was using uh, time as a coordinate system and uh, a color code and from that you the machine was getting a complete picture of the whole game at one time so it was able to see more things simultaneously than a human player so its reactions were much better Um, but also the the interesting thing that they learned from AlphaStar was that not only was it reacting faster but it was actually making better decisions strategically and it wasn't until they did a capture replay that one of the world's best uh, players in that game uh, noticed that if he warped over behind enemy lines, that it caused uh, uh, it to change directions. And so he saw a vulnerability there for a brief moment. And I think he also brought that up in the hype mind that uh, that the the, the machine was given input or data that it wasn't trained on or aware of that it kind of caused like a brain seizure. And, uh, that's all, what he identified to as a vulnerability in, in the, um, the agents. Um, so they, the the five agents, uh, one agent, uh, um, it, um, so anyway, Alpha Star capitalized on incentives, and Alpha Star did have a vulnerability where it would turn the army if the opponent attacked its base rather than stick with a strategy. So distraction caused Alpha Star to become less efficient in its decisions. But still, overall, when they uh, analyzed its performance, they were pretty, even the experts were pretty amazed at uh, some of the new strategies that were formed and new decisions that were made uh would you like to talk on um uh, on cyber warfare How's this audio oh much better um so you you heard uh, the brief intro and that was from star trek's uh, ultimate computer um and uh also my brief uh summarization of what i thought happened with uh starcraft but the the interesting thing uh, that brings up is that uh, we this was such a breakthrough in some ways in what you've been saying about uh computing decisions uh, efficiency of machines to make decisions uh strategy uh we see that you know deep uh we saw machines win at chess we've seen machines win at go uh now we see a machine win at uh you know a game, very complex strategic game where players make five six hundred thousand dollars a year uh where they come together and kind of like you were talking about a hive mind and uh, they play against each other uh using controllers and different interfaces um uh and they lost and as they they talked about their losses they said they kind of felt like they could have won but they were so intimidated by the different tactics and the changes in strategy that they were familiar with against opponents that they had played or or anticipated to play uh that it kind of threw off their game um do you want to talk on um about what the future uh, some of your ideas
1: yeah. So I think with some of these reinforced games, something you'll see in the media that I think is really silly is they'll try to add some type of personification that I can't remember the exact game that was published, but someone was talking about how the AI was taunting the opponent or the AI is doing some type of behavior that seems to be human-like or demonstrates some type of personality. And the the thing I want people to really grasp or think about is that's really silly. It just comes down to the objective. So a small change in the reward system on how you're going to reward this game will drastically change its behavior. Um, And and then you mentioned on the intro, the AI system overreacting to the, the opponent attacking its base where maybe overall that's a bad strategy, but um, yeah, so, so I've I've been fascinated by these games, and one of the ones I'm working on right now is Call of Duty on the Xbox, which I'm getting a, a big reaction from the AI community. At least the the people that I've interacted with as I've gone around and presented some of the initial work needed to pull this off.
0: What was the what is your strategy going to be? Are you going to use uh, neural nets, um, reinforced learning? Independent uh, agents with uh, different reward incentives, uh, or are you going to use like uh, some sort of uh, larger system for trying to see and anticipate more possible moves? So, or do you want to talk on that?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can talk on it. So, for people who are less familiar with how you pull this off, they. They might think that you just take the entire video feed and throw it into a singular model. And then that produces all actions needed to win the game on the other side. And that's not how you go about building a system like this. I'm actually looking at a piece of paper right now from last night where there are 40 different boxes written down where each of these boxes represents some type of a sub model. So think about health, how many bullets do I have, uh, a muzzle flash there's a lot of information are uh, that you have that feeds a final model so you so you have all these encoder models that are essentially collecting information okay. upstream like how long if i do pull the trigger right now there tends to be there's a delay before i'll have a muzzle blast and the bullet will leave the gun and that depends on the position of my gun. And so it's really important for the AI system to know all of this information at any point in time. Yeah. Um, so
0: you did mention that you're, you're going to use, um, are you going to use agents uh, so that they each, you're going to have a series of kind of uh, sub-module agents that are, are performing and making decisions uh, and then feeding decisions into kind of a group net hive or you know and uh, based on that you know creating
1: an action so the the long term hope is to demonstrate a hive mind because you can actually play with a networked team today so so forget AI you can play with five of your friends working together. Uh, the really exciting thing is uh, in the future, you could have five AI agents that work as a hive mind. So we're, the initial win that we're starting with is one agent where it's able to consume all of the video from the game in real time and play the game. Uh, but the the second stage would be adding additional agents and their feeds and have, have them work together in a coordinated attack. You pointed
0: out, um, you know, it's like having Playing against the machine with one person would be like playing against someone with eight eyes, eight arms. You know, it's basically capable of seeing four, four screens worth of data at one time, reducing it down into a pixel map that it can understand through maybe a convolution neural net, and uh, and then uh, you know looking at for key features. And so as these features are are, it's been trained on. It identifies the features. It can see those uh, features through multiple threads or something that are running and uh, and processing. So it would be probably against the machine, humanly impossible to win because uh, you couldn't process that much information that fast. Yeah,
1: exactly. And and I th- one of the funny things I write about in my articles talking about the hive mind is there one of the most popular games, and you probably remember this game, but I grew up with this. It was. James Bond 007 on Nintendo 64. So this was the first multiplayer uh, shooting game. And when I would play this game, it's four people playing on one TV and the TV is divided up into four sections. So you each get your own respective screen. And I remember having arguments with some of my friends growing up where they would say, don't screen peek, which is is a really silly thing to say because if you're staring, if all four of you are staring at the same TV and if I noticed out of my peripheral vision that I know which room you're in or I know where you're hiding or I know what you're doing, that's a huge advantage to me um, to use that information. Um, and so a hive mind always comprehends all of that, but at a much faster pace than the human brain um, can digest. And I think maybe something that's important to talk through is we're finding a lot of details where even one agent has an advantage over the human just the amount of information it can see the time resolution before it can react um, there's so much going on in a screen especially with 1080p resolution that the human brain can't can't appreciate but an AI system can
0: you know, look at the human brain it has uh, what 35 at least I, the last time I knew has had 35 uh, basic major neural net systems that process things like edge detection uh color and contrast uh facial recognition voice recognition you know there's these these nets in our brain that are activating and we're processing you know, what uh about a 10, 10 pixel resolution or something like that per frame and we're running Maybe sixty, seventy or ninety frames per second uh through our brain, so we yeah if you you're talking to a machine that can go up to a thousand frames per second, there's no way you can process that much information that quick yeah
1: yeah, exactly so there's there's time to process the other thing too that's interesting is the these types of games are stressful, so there's definitely a human emotional component where it's very hard for you to make the right decisions when you're under stress. Um, but a com- computer has no concept of stress, so it, it may know its health, it may know if it needs to do something to retreat or fix itself. But the, the the really fun thing from this experiment is I can immediately compare it to the real world where AI walks into a bar and starts shooting everyone. And you have guns too, so you start shooting back. And during that gunfight, I tell everyone to pause. So I immediately say, stop. If I ask you how many guns are left in your machine gun, you have no idea. Like maybe you have kind of a rough sense, but you're very stressed. AI can tell you the exact number of bullets it has, how many magazines it has left. And it can also tell you the exact number of bullets for everyone in the room. Because you know, assuming you have a full clip, it's been counting all of your bullets too. And it's doing all of this in real time. And this is not a big deal for an AI system to do. It's a really good accountant.
0: Yeah, and you know, going back to, you know, the uh, incentive part of the agent, uh, going to the ultimate computer uh, scenario with it, where um, the M5 was built, where it it was learning like a child. Um, in other words, it, it could take new sensory input and it could adapt to it. You pointed out that one of the vulnerabilities of HiveMind is, is if you if you introduced an input source that it hadn't been aware of, you could cause it to seize or it, it wouldn't know what to do. And so possibly at that point, it would panic and uh, uh, maybe reboot back to a more primary algorithm or something like a fail-safe algorithm so it didn't crash.
1: Yeah, and I the one of the issues with artificial intelligence is whenever you point out vulnerabilities like this, you're essentially discussing it with yourself or there there will be some AI, ex, some AI expert on the other side of that that will have a fix for, for that. They'll have a reaction to that. So the hive mind will have to be very robust at eliminating agents as needed. And these aren't just agents that go offline. These are also agents that can't be trusted. So maybe a sensor has been damaged. It's not that the humans are doing something malicious there's some some mud on the sensor or there's been some heat or there's just an issue with the sensor where the ai hive mind no longer trusts the information this agent is seeing and um and the, and one last point there with the hive mind is let's say there's a there's an overall objective for the hive mind to win the war it really needs to get an asset and if a hive mind agent walks into the room and if you show it that asset, a naive hive mind will adjust the entire war to react to one agent seeing that asset. A more mature hive mind will hesitate and validate and really try to like it, it it'll know that there is a chance that you, the human, are tricking it into thinking that the prime like the primary asset that it's after is in front of this agent. Because that, that so you, th- there's ways to corrupt it by showing it feeds that it hasn't seen before. Unfortunately, with really smart AI researchers, they have ways to detect that, that you know, you're know you playing Mozart, it's never heard Mozart. They actually have ways to detect that there's a new feature space that this agent is seeing where it has left its training. Um, and so the second part of the high of vulnerability is showing it information that changes its strategy in trying to forge that information
0: yeah I, um, I think we talked about like for example if it was a, trying to identify a tank and uh, then the uh, the enemy realized that the AI system was looking at a tank so it put up a big uh, poster in front of the tank of a car mm-hmm. So so does the hype mind at that point say oh that's a car? That's not a tank. Um,
1: So initially when you're dealing with visual systems, that might work. One of the things that will happen very quickly is these agents will be full spectrum for their their vision systems. So they won't just see RGB. And so for you to fake um, that a tank is now a car, you're trying to change the perception, that will become impossible because you would actually have to fake a full spectrum response uh, so not only are you faking something like an image that looks like a car you actually have to fake the thermal print you have to fake the gamma print you have to fake the like the the near millimeter refraction the radio refraction the radar refraction um
0: yeah i think that's what you said yesterday was really interesting is you know uh that the uh, ai can know more more about you they uh It could know about your heartbeat. It could know whether you have a kidney problem. It could know about your age, uh, gender. You know, it's taking these hyperparameters and, you know, it's pulling in all this information. And uh, so at one given moment, just like in the game playing we're talking about, where it's getting more information uh, being processed, encoded, decoded, uh, and then understood, it seems like that even in interactions in the real world <clears throat> that the number of parameters that it can absorb uh and process is going to be vastly larger and so it's going to have more complete picture of what what's going on like you said the, it could then determine that you know that's cardboard that's not metal
1: yeah exactly and, and we already have so the some of the things i mentioned they're they're not science fiction we already have components of those so with Localized radar, we can actually, we can already measure heart heartbeats through walls. We can already count individuals through walls. And as you start combining multiple wavelengths in the spectrum, these sensors just become more accurate.
0: Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about, like, your work with, uh, um, well, uh, before I go off that, what about the, the M5s? Uh, Goal where it pro- had as part of its programming human morality. Do you see uh, a need for agents uh, in warfare to have a human morality? Uh, I guess the reason I point that out is my belief is that there's only one human, uh, one stable uh, artificial or or one stable complex system that's ever existed in in our history which is humanity. Humanity is the the stabilizing aspect even to machines, like for networks, for example. No network stays operational perpetually. Uh, You have to have constant maintenance. You have firmware updates. You have software updates. uh, Sometimes you have hardware failures. Uh, It it requires that human element to stabilize even uh, a network system. Uh, Can you speak to morality as it relates to what the m5 was attempting to do
1: yes maybe so that's i think too,
0: we're, kind of out of scope but i think
1: with some with yeah, some of ahead. these initial war systems that are built out i think they're the metrics that will be rewarded will be there probably won't really be a sense of morality or, or any higher level um rewards or thought processes it'll they'll they'll just have a reward system that's very much focused on kills or eliminations as a function of energy or health of the drone or the droid and and maybe part of that will be you know what what is the what is the simulated or what is the known accuracy when it comes to engaging with hostiles when you have um you know innocence or um, bystanders you know collateral death opportunities that that could be the, a discussion but I'd, I'd be interested to to kind of unpack this morality uh, w- what are specific examples because the feature i imagine is you have drones flying around because they're very effective and then maybe you have droids that can you know walk through a building or you know op- open a door well i
0: think you you pointed this out yesterday uh is that maybe in the in the in the element of these hyper parameters and also agents uh, forming strategies and you know pulling in input that maybe one of the strategic points is to uh eliminate key points in a city for example and that would then allow uh, a military strategy for uh campaign success so it's planning then could have it doing strange behaviors that we, we wouldn't normally on a moral stance, so that human beings would not yeah. do. It. it might say, Well, that's expedient to do it, not necessarily moral to do it. So you have that expediency versus moral argument that's going on. It says it's expedient to take out these key centers, but it's not moral. Yeah, no,
1: that, and I, I think you bring up the key point. It's actually more likely to go the other way. So during the initial attack, um, it, As AI gets really sophisticated, it'll actually, when it goes in for an initial attack, it will have already simulated that war millions of times with that uh, topography, that landscape, the anticipated enemy with random initialization. And so what could happen in the initial attack is the AI might blindly bomb, you know, 10 or 20 targets. And it doesn't really care if it's correct. And one of those targets could be a school. And maybe that violates kind of our moral code, but from AI simulating this war, it knows by hitting these twenty targets, it you know it got enough of them right that it severely handicaps the outcome of the of the war in its favor.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, I guess if we looked at we project this out, you know, the the fact that uh, machines our uh, technology equivalents to the kill ratios, which you've mentioned, uh, and if the AI is the new super weapon, uh, then it would seem logical that we now would uh, beat our swords into plowshares. In other words, war is now become AI has become the weapon that uh, no man can use or would ever use in war because of the, the potential for mass destruction. So I have, is AI a weapon of mass destruction? Yes.
1: Yes, it is. Once it matures. And, and I I had, so I heard, um, I heard a really interesting point where I, I was getting, um, I was kind of getting worked up that AI will become a technology force that will be capable of human extinction And what does that mean for society? And someone pointed out that we already have technology capable of human extinction. They're called nukes. And we've just learned to play nice. But if, you know, if humans voted and decided that, you know, we're we're done being humans, we have the technology capability to make humans go extinct with a nuclear winter. And, um, but we choose not to. And so uh, I think what we'll see is AI will be the same it'll have similar notes to what we've seen in the cold war where you'll have these superpower countries that are showing off their AI war capabilities, but they're doing it more as kind of a show of dominance or a deterrent. Um, and then the hope is that these, these types of things aren't actually used at scale. Do you think that, the um,
0: yeah, I kind of agree, because it seems that uh, you know the without a, a moral guide or in essence something that prevents the AI in a, a operational mode, like you were saying, where it's given free reign to to make decisions autonomously, where it's not um, you know it's running on an incentive basis and it's performing uh, decisions at very fast rates and performing and executing on efficiency there would be uh then it would become an issue of machine versus machine some somewhat like you see with uh on the stock market where you know physicists uh applied quant- quantum quantum uh, theory and the, they're analyzing transactions from an energy standpoint little quantums of energy uh as they, they're doing trades and so you have machines that are running very efficiently doing lots and lots of trades, making lots of decisions. And uh, you know, so it's machine versus machine now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that'll that be a big part of it. And a strategic advantage will be surprising your enemy with a new type of machine, something that they haven't simulated, something that they haven't trained against. And so that will be the slippery slope where we, the country that can innovate and deploy new types of killing machines faster will have a huge advantage over the country that takes months if not years to release a new model.
0: Yeah, well, and can you talk about your um, success with AI and insurance? Yeah,
1: so uh, one of the things we've learned is it's really helpful to build models from all the data that matters. So this is text, structured images, different types of images, because a lot of times people think of just putting images into a bucket in training a classifier or regressor, fraud, not fraud, price of the home. We, the thing that we're very sensitive to is using different, respecting different types of images. So imagine Google Street View, images of roofs, um, satellite data, images of a kitchen, whatever data that we have that is labeled differently, we can respect that. So with our platform, we can ingest what we call a a record of a very complicated data set where we look, we we have the structured side of it, we have the text side of it, we have different image types. And the way that works in our platform is we train supervised encoders and we extract features from all of these components. And then we train a decoder that can produce um, automated outcomes. And by doing that, we find that we can automate a very large fraction of the approval process based on all that information. And we can provide better, better fraud prediction, better loss ratio prediction, and then dealing with house prices, we can provide very compelling house price predictions for someone like an appraiser or someone who's assessing the risk on a property, risk of replacement.
0: Do you, are you able to see uh, the features and man, uh, manually go in and say, uh, see, does it do some sort of statistic evaluation on the feature and say, okay, these are the top 100 features that we detected from all the data uh, that are important? Yeah. So uh, does it do something like that? Or does it, it, does it just take and build millions of features? You won't, you can't look at them all. And, uh, and then from that, it's decoding Uh, from from
1: so we we've been working for a few years now on storytelling and so we we definitely do unpack why is this model behaving the way it is so what how is the decoder behaving what features are the decoders rewarding what's that breakdown but we also go inside each of the encoders and we have ways to gauge their quality and their topics and understand what they've learned so we can go inside a, a kitchen encoder and that's all stuff that we have internally in our reporting, but we're building that out for our customers where they can get access to that reporting and make decisions without us. So that's
0: very important because uh, I I I think uh, that the machine has to have a conversation. Uh, otherwise, we don't understand what the machine's doing. And for human intelligence, we need to understand what things are doing to have trust. So there has to be a feeling of trust or emotional and uh, without that, uh, you know, we can't pass control over to the machine. But once we have trust uh, through that conversation that's going on, uh, then we can say, oh, yeah, we understand why yeah, this is uh, the, this model is doing this. this the, here's here's the, the, the features or or the reasoning behind why it's making these
1: decisions. Yeah, and exactly. For a lot of industries the liability is really high if you can't do that. So for hiring, um, if you have sexism or racism mm. or other things that are happening inside the AI that you don't have eyes on or control over, that creates a huge liability. And same goes for insurance or loan approval. If you are rejecting candidates for something that happens to correlate with you know, something that becomes a legal issue, that you you really need to have defensibility. And so... Storytelling is key for anyone who's deploying models at the enterprise level.
0: That's brilliant. Um, I wanted to ask you on the insurance. A lot of the insurance is based on actuaries um, and predictions. Like, uh, uh, you know, if you have so many natural disasters, et cetera, you know, uh, it's blended in terms of subscriptions, premiums, things like that. Those extremely complex um, do you come out with recommendations like these premiums are really good; they're making you a lot of money, or these premiums are high risk? They should, uh, uh, or these policies should uh, uh, have higher premiums to offset the risk. Or, do, do you do anything with risk analysis?
1: So one of the things we talk a lot about is you have predictive models, and then you have um, internal business um, business logic where you can kind of unpack what the models saying. So from our perspective, when we get these initial wins, they are just loss models that provide all that information back to the company or their pricing models. And then they will use that information to, um, to react internally, where they, they might have some different business logic that kind of goes down uh, different paths. We, we do want to enable our users to try anything, anything that they want to try on our platform that we support. And so there could be a scenario where they build sub models on, you know, these are, this is the premium. The, these are the, you know, we're going to predict premium or we're going to predict loss for these types of properties. That way we can kind of understand them better. Um, the, the other thing too, I want to throw out there mm-hmm. is sometimes we see AI acting as a router because you can have a very high level model okay. and it's just routing information to maybe downstream models that pull more features in and they they dive into something a little deeper. And we are even seeing that on the Xbox side, you might have a high-level model that once it's triggered, then it begins firing on secondary models.
0: That's great. I, I think, I, I don't know if I forwarded you um, that, that page link that uh, talked about it. a company that built an operating system where they had a router type of, technology at the core and then it routed uh to different models um i was going to ask you do you do you do anything uh do you see the possibility like uh applying kind of like this agent technology that you're going to use for the xbox uh to doing something like project management so for example uh if you're building a house you go through uh, a number of different steps uh there are different stages. So things are done in stages, a lot like uh, the game that you're playing. You have to do certain buildup of your troops. Uh, you have to have certain people in certain places at certain times. Have you thought about applying uh, the game playing of the Xbox to, like, an automated project manager?
1: I, we haven't specifically, but um, there's a lot of – the the interesting thing with AI is it's such a broad – there, there's so many applications, so many useful applications. So, and it, yeah, so they, I'm sure there's lots of opportunity for people to leverage some of these insights to manage a project and understand different stages better. Um, yeah. We, Cause there's so much risk
0: associated to project management. You know, if you miss uh, terms or deadlines, you know, there's penalties possibly. Uh If certain things don't happen at certain times, then there's uh, effects on uh, schedules to delivery and also budgets. Uh, And so, you know, people are spending lots of time in project management. And when you look at it, it's basically time series and decisions. So there's a lot of time series decisions and contracts. Yeah. And even at the contracts, they spend a lot of time analyzing the text contact. So there's kind of this natural language processing that's going on, this coding, decoding that you were talking about where they're having to process uh, lots of information and it's all in the details. So they spend lots of hours constantly rereading and studying schematics and things like that.
1: Yeah, so one one quick point there is there is an opportunity to predict um, failure reason codes for different projects up front. So let's say missing this this particular type of of miss is really important. So missing concrete or missing um, the close date, or there's some milestone that the hope is you you don't miss it. But having an AI system where every single day it predicts the likelihood that you will miss this particular milestone. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it raises awareness. And so let's say you're working on a property and I predict with 70% likelihood that you will miss this milestone, and this is weeks before you start, it might help raise the awareness that, oh, we're, we're working, you know, further away from this supplier or this particular supplier that's been assigned this project has a reputation for missing this. And so it just allows you to kind of get ahead of it. So that, that's a less complicated way to address it of these, where you're just building traditional classifiers and regressors, and you're just using them as like a heads up on a daily basis. What's the likelihood that I miss a whole suite of reason codes today or tomorrow.
0: Well, our time's uh, up. It's been a fast thir- uh, 35 minutes. Uh, do you want to just uh, s- have some closing remarks and then I'll just uh, briefly have a... Oh, actually, let me reverse that. Let me just say that, you know, today we've uh, uh, summarized a, a lot of, about the new breakthroughs in artificial intelligence. Ben's been able to share with us uh, quite a few interesting questions uh, aspects of some of the key issues related to hype mine and uh, um, also uh, some wide applications that AI can be applied to uh, not just in uh, war games but maybe also in construction or um, even in security. so Ben you want to just uh, summarize or we have the final yeah. say.
1: Uh, So these games that we see can be really fun and inspirational and one of the reasons we're working on this first person shooter game is we want to raise public awareness that there are some future concerns that come from these games and watching an AI agent on an Xbox go around shooting a machine gun and effectively killing people in a game we want to use this to start this conversation around autonomous warfare and what does the public think about it and to kind of help them get ahead of it before the technology is ready.
0: Okay. Thanks. Talk to you later, Ben.
1: Thanks, David.